Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The word of God for the people of God. Read New City Catechism question 33 with me. Should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? No, they should not, as everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. To seek salvation through good works is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. going for children's church and you're dismissed yeah the lights on says that I'm on testing one two three testing all right I might raise my voice for a while Galatians 2:16, that Keeley read we're answering a question today how are we saved and the answer in this scripture is emphatically that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Can we add anything to that that's necessary for our salvation? And our answer was no, we cannot add anything. We say as a church and read um, in our opening gospel announcement that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. So we're focusing on that today, that it is not just faith alone, but faith in Christ alone for our salvation. And the Galatians verse that we use today is Galatians 2.16. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And twice here in this verse, as he continues, Paul mentions that we are saved and counted righteous, this word justification, before God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says it again, by faith in Christ. Our text in Galatians is emphatic here. Just this one verse, and when you think about the whole Bible, uh, just this one verse is emphatic that this is how we're justified. This is how we're made right before God, is through faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in Christ. There's nothing to add to that. To emphasize that fact, mixed in with that we're saved only by faith in Christ and through faith in Christ, is how we're not saved. So three times he intermixes in this one verse that you are not justified by works of the law. You can't add anything to that faith in Christ. So emphatically after he mentions not justified by works of the law, he mentions again not by works of the law. And then he closes with because by works of the law no one, includes everyone, no one will be justified. 
how will we be justified? How will we be made right before God? How will we be pleasing to God? This verse is emphatic that it is by faith in Christ alone, and it is not by anything that we could do to earn it. Not one iota. Paul's going to be emphatic about this throughout this whole book. What's our problem? What's our problem when we look out into the world and we see what's going on? What's, why, why, is th- why are things a mess? And the Bible says that it is because of our unrighteousness. The unrighteousness in humanity is the problem because our unrighteousness separates us from God. And when you are separated from God, you're separated from light. You're separated from love. You're separated from every good and right thing in the world that is righteous. You are unrighteous. And the Bible makes this clear in many, many places in the Word. Uh, Romans 3, 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. This is the problem that Paul is establishing. This is the, the, the issue of all of our ills. There is no one righteous. None. Not one. Isaiah says this same thing in Isaiah 64, 5. He asks, who can be saved? Who can? That's what we're asking today. Who can be saved? And Isaiah 64, 6 goes on to say, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Wow, Isaiah, Mr. Poet, isn't he? With the imagery there, we're hopeless. How can we be saved? Isaiah says, let me tell you, all your attempts, all your best acts are like filthy rags. They will never get you there. They will never save you. You can't do one thing. You're like a shriveled up leaf that'll just be swept away by your sin. You have no power within yourself to save yourself. None. None. And so throughout Scripture, the Scriptures are emphatic. So it makes the good news look so pure when the good news comes. And that is what the Apostle Paul is protecting in Galatians. Sounds like he's being a little radical here. There's just some Jewish people that think that maybe you could be a little bit better if you just, you know, with your faith in Jesus, just go ahead and do this Jewish act that's been in the church for a long time to help Jews be made Jews, you know, the circumcision thing. Yeah, Jesus, cool, just just do this one thing, you know, and you think, what's so wrong with that? Just do it, pacify him, let it go. Don't worry about it, Paul. And Paul says, no, in our text today and previous to that, in Galatians 1.6, he says, this is how Paul sees it. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. What? 
No, these Judaizers came down. We're just, you know, they, they know the scriptures. They've been in it forever. We're just Greeks and Gentiles, you know. We don't know. They're telling us to do this. We're just doing How is it that you are so quickly deserting? And it sounds really strong. Come on, Paul. Are you just trying to, you know, what are you saying here? You know, deserting the one him who called you. How did he call you? In the grace of Christ. Deserting the one that called you in the grace of of Christ. That pure gift that he gave you. You're deserting that pure gift. Really? Come on, Paul. And turning to a different gospel. That's not the gospel I announced to you. That's not the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. You're trying to add something to it. I don't know if it, uh, Billy Graham's uh, grandson was the one that came up with this, but he wrote a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Isn't that great? I mean, he really gets into the gospel and the purity of the gospel there, and he says, Jesus, people who like math, right? You just want to say, how does it add up? Jesus plus zero, nothing that you add, nothing equals Can't add anything to that. Don't add anything. Don't try to add anything to it. If you do, Paul's saying here, you're deserting him who called you into that grace of Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus alone saves. So when he concludes chapter 2, in verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. Look at that, Galatians 2.21 after our text in Galatians 2.16 he's kind of concluding this thing that we can only be justified by faith in Christ faith alone in Christ alone and he says to do any other is to nullify he's saying I don't nullify the grace of God and then he explains what that means because he says for if righteousness he's using that same word justification for if justification being made right before God for if righteousness were through the law any other means then christ died for no purpose that's strong language another version says then christ died needlessly christ didn't have to die if you could be made righteous in your own attempts you nullify the gift of god the grace of god in jesus it's not me that's being over-exaggerated about this. It is God's word through the apostolic teaching of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that tells us Jesus plus nothing is everything to your salvation. Don't try to add to it. If you add to it, you're basically saying Jesus plus, put anything there. Jesus plus one thing now equals nothing. No, it doesn't equal nothing. It still equals something. I mean, Jesus plus my one good work doesn't diminish all of it, does it? Yeah. That's what Paul, Paul's saying. You're, you're in a whole different gospel. You're in a distorted gospel. You're deserting Jesus. No, I'm just doing, I just want to add one little thing to it and that I can say, I kind of helped my salvation. I kind of did something to add to it. This is the inward bent of our heart is just to try to add something. 
Martin Luther called it uh, incurvatus inse. I'm not great with Latin and all that, but it basically means that our hearts are just curved inward. They're, they're, our hearts are always looking for just some way that we can justify ourselves. So this was appealing to the Galatians to come in and say, hey, you guys can do this one thing and you'll be a little bit better. Really? I mean, I've accepted Jesus. Yeah, but this one thing will make you even better. Just add to it Jesus plus. Like, oh, okay, Paul's going, how quickly you deserted. How quickly you just left your purity and devotion to Christ and grace. So it is God making a big deal about this. Not just this crazy pastor up here. It's God. And in our uh, commentary this week from the New City Catechism, uh, Tim Keller He doesn't do a whole lot of the commentaries, maybe only 10 through all 52 of them or so, just a handful or so, but he did this one. And in it, he tells this uh, story um, that I will get to in a little bit. But first, I want to get to a quote that he uses in his book. Uh, It's about gospel-centered ministry. And in that book, he says, Religion says, I obey... Therefore, I'm accepted by God. The gospel says that we are accepted through Christ alone, and therefore I obey. Do you see that? So religion's always telling you, obey, do this one thing, and you'll be pleasing to God. Just do these steps, and you'll be pleasing. Obey, and you'll be accepted. And the gospel is just the opposite. And it's what Paul is defending here. He's saying you're fully accepted into the beloved by faith alone in Christ alone. And therefore, you obey. Okay, obedience just comes as an outflow of what God has done. But these Judaizers and Galatians were saying, yes, you have the Messiah, but you also need to be a child of Abraham. And to be a child of Abraham fully accepted you need to become jewish in a sense and then god will even accept you more and this was disastrous to the church Um, to say that jesus plus my own effort is to say that christ died for no purpose or died needlessly that's what paul is saying so this addition for the church in the galatia region and these churches there by adding to their faith in Jesus was this teaching their one thing was circumcision okay that was the covenant that was given to Abraham we might not relate to it but it was a big issue in trying to blend Jews and Gentiles into one church and we read about this in Acts 15 where the church came together James uh, the brother of Jesus was the pastor in Jerusalem and they come and they begin to argue out this issue and in Acts 15:1 the big dissension was that these uh, men from Judea were coming down and teaching the brothers saying unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved So you're not in. You're not fully in the blessings of God. And so Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension with them. That's the way the the, the scriptures put it. That means they had a a very big dissension by saying it in opposite like that. They had no small uh, dissension over this 
issue, and it was a big debate within the church there at Jerusalem, and they're talking about it, and they're hashing it out with great uh, passion. And then actually Peter speaks up here, which is interesting, Acts 15, 7. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles they should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. None. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Do you hear that again? Do you hear how we're saved? Peter's saying it's just this. He, he cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, Peter saw this when he was called to the house of Cornelius. He didn't want to go. And he had to vision over and over and over again. You're going to go. You're going to go. I don't want to go. And he goes. And he'd be, ah, here's the word of God. And then, boom, the Holy Spirit falls on this Gentile just by hearing the word of God, the gospel, and believing in their hearts. Their hearts were cleansed. And so cleansed, you can't get any more cleansed than that the Holy Spirit is able to come in, the very Spirit of God, and abide within you. That's how when your faith is cleanse, cleansing through Jesus and it cleanses your heart. You're made inside the righteousness of Christ and therefore the Holy Spirit can come and indwell within you. Is that powerful? Is that powerful? And Peter's going, hey, you know, he called me and I went and did this and I saw it, you know, and he's, he's standing up and saying, there's no distinction there. The Holy Spirit moved inside of them through the same exact way as us. He cleansed their hearts by faith. It's by faith alone. So if you think Peter and Paul don't get along in their doctrine, they do. Peter is saying the same thing. And he says, why would you place a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor us has been able to bear? Like, why are you trying to give them this yoke that we can never obey. Keep these things. Do these things. Then you will be more pleasing to God. We couldn't do it. That's the whole point. The whole point of the Old Testament is the law was good and holy, but we weren't. And we could never keep it. We could never do it. And no one could ever do it. That's the point of it. We need a Savior. We need someone who will cleanse our hearts by faith. You know, we're not, 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 not going back and adding these, these, these good works. And so clearly Peter is saying, and this is the decision that the church arrives at, seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, that we're not going to put this burden on, on them. So uh, Paul and Barnabas and Peter along with them are able to keep the gospel and fight for the gospel to keep it pure. That how are we saved? By faith alone. In Christ alone. This is how we are saved. Now, we see here this debate in Galatians. We see that because they believed in this covenant that was made to Abraham, Paul has to explain that in Galatians 3. He goes all into how Abraham uh, was saved. It's, uh, he, in Galatians 3, 6 through 9, he says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the same as us. We believe God and it's credited to us, accounted to us, reckoned to us as righteous. Just through belief. And Paul's explaining this. That is not the circumcision that makes them children of Abraham, but it is faith. It is by faith. And he makes that very clear over and over again here again. He says, know that it was 
those of faith who are sons of Abraham. This is how you become a son of Abraham, through faith. You can't add anything to that. Uh, This is how he justified the Gentiles, too, by faith, verse 7, he says. And then verse 9, he says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Ah, man. I mean, he just drills it over and over and over again through verse by verse by verse, through chapter by chapter or chapter. And he warns them later in Galatians 5. He says, if you accept circumcision, that is, you accept it in the sense that it's going to make you better before God, Christ will be of no advantage to you. None. You can't now add Christ to that. Now what he says that you are obligated to do by accepting that, you say, what's the big deal? It's because Paul says you're now obligated to keep all of it. Every bit of it. You're obligated to keep the whole law now. That's what he emphasized. And he says that you're severed from Christ, fallen away from grace. Why? Because you're nullifying grace. He's not saying that you're losing your salvation. He's just saying you're trying to save yourself. You've added something, and now you've added more than you realize you've added because now you've got to make all of your own way, and you've been severed from Christ. You've been fallen from grace. You're nullifying grace. Now, here's the story I was mentioning earlier that Timothy Keller tells. He says in our commentary in our uh, New City Catechism this week, he says, if you mix faith and works, if you say... Yes, I have to have faith in what Jesus has done for me, but I also have to add this or that or this or this or I'm not saved. Then you're saying that what actually saves you is not what Jesus has done, but what you add to it. It makes you your own Savior. And then he gives this illustration. Mr. A asked Mr. B to make him a wooden cabinet because Mr. B was a great cabinet maker. Mr. B and Mr. A were friends, and therefore Mr. B said, well, I better make this really good and perfect. So he worked and worked and worked on the cabinet till he got it to the place where it had been buffed and polished to perfection. He brought Mr. A into his workshop to see it. And Mr. A walks in and picks up a piece of sandpaper and said, let me just add this one little stroke. Mr. B said, no! It's finished. It's perfect. And there's no way to add anything to it without subtracting from it. It's the same with Jesus' work. Because when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And when we come up and say, oh, well, let me just add this one little stroke. Oh, God, you and Jesus weren't quite enough. You know, I, I just need to add this one little thing. Let me just add this one little thing. We are that offensive to the grace of God. The problem with any added work by us is it doesn't add to our righteousness. It completely obliterates 
our righteous standing before God. Our salvation is no longer a gift, but something we have earned. When we add anything to Christ's complete work, we're falling away from grace. Grace is a gift, and if we add anything to God's gift of Jesus, we're falling away from grace for our salvation. Paul is not saying, again, that you could lose your salvation. He's saying, don't try to add to it or you take away from the gift of grace. Think of this about Jesus. Think about what Hebrews 1.3 says. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, upholding the universe by the word of his power, and he has made purification for sins for all time, having sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And you know what? When you want to add something, you're like butting in right there. Oh, don't sit down, Jesus. You, you know, I know you've made purification. I know you're the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And you uphold the, the word of the universe, you know, by the word of your power. You're, you are all that, Jesus. But as you make purification for my sins, let me just add one little stroke there before you sit down. Let me just add my one thing. And, and you might not be thinking like, oh, I do that, or I try to do that. But anytime you do something and you feel better about your relationship with God, that's what you're doing. I feel a little better today. I didn't really sin as much. I prayed a little bit more. I got up and did my Bible study. I feel better. I feel better in my relationship with God. Why is that? Because we believe with before he sat down, made purification, made us right before God, fully in love with him, and filled so pure with, you know, cleansing our heart that he could indwell us with the Holy Spirit. No, let me do this one thing. And I did it today. I kind of did something that kind of helped my salvation along. And these are things that we do. This is that, that incurvitus insay. It's always wanting to justify ourselves. In some small measure, in some thing, and the gospel uh, defended here by the Apostle Paul is no, no, no. Don't let anything invade your righteousness. The purity of your faith in Christ alone. Now, we have attempts about people wanting to be made righteous, and the message really developed really well through over the last two and three hundred years has been this really scheme of Satan that's masterful and it's, 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 it's built to the point now to where, um, you know, in, in 2015 we can have marriage uh, redefined by our Supreme Court. And then right after that we can begin to just have it. I mean, all these things have built uh, all the time we can have, in the 1960s, we can have no-fault divorce. You know, I mean, we can just, you don't have to give a reason. We, we have these established things that are, are brewing and having these huge snowballing effects in our culture. And what is, what is it? What is all that about? It's about a schemed plan of how you think people are okay, are made right 
I mean, it goes back to Freudian theology. It goes back to Nietzsche. It goes back to all these things. You might not agree with them, and the world might go, oh, they're all blah. But their philosophies and their psychologies and their ideas to the answer to the problems of the wor- world are to look within yourself. You know, the problems are that you just need to, you know, look within. Don't look without. You know, quit getting confused by that. Just, it's, it's called, the, you know, the psychological man or expressive individualism. Like, I can be my own self and I can save my own self and what I need to do. And I, every time I look at quotes and they're all about, look within. If you want to find the real truth, look within, look within, look within. And I'm like, the Bible says that when I look within... All my own righteous acts are filthy. I'm getting nowhere when I look within. But our culture so powerfully convinced people that they're good and just look within that goodness. And the Bible says there is no good within you. It is very in conflict. And that's why there is great persecution and always has been against Christian faith, against the Christian establishment of what Christian, how do Christians define marriage, how Christians define uh, what is moral and right. It's all this warfare that is going on about how and what is the answer to the ills of our world. And one is saying, look within yourself. You ultimately are God. Make those decisions yourself. And one is look outside. And so Martin Luther, believe it or not, even though he was very religious, he was living out his religious life, and he had not truly been born again. He was just trying to work his way through works. This was the way. This was the way within the church. had had invaded the gospel, had been uh, 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 distorted. And so Luther, he's in, you know, uh, begins to search out Scripture, and he begins to see and discover this righteousness that is outside of himself. He begins to see it in Scripture that righteousness isn't looking within. It's not something that I can achieve on my own. And he says, all of a sudden, he begins to see through Scripture, reading it in the original language and all these things, and delving in, he says, says, not by our own righteousness, but what Luther called an alien righteousness is what saved us. A righteousness that's outside of ourselves. That, that helped me. An alien righteousness. Something that's foreign to us. That's not within us. Like we're rebellious and at the, at the core of our hearts, uh, you know, the Bible declares that we are unrighteous. So we have to look to a righteousness not within ourselves but within another. Which is countercultural, 100% to what culture is saying today. But Luther called this the an alien righteousness and he said a righteousness that god gives us freely by his grace to people who don't have a righteousness of their own this is what you're saying in scripture he's discovering this and he goes whoa you mean the righteousness by which i will be saved is not mine and it's what he called this alien righteousness a righteousness that belongs properly to somebody else it's a righteousness that is outside of us, namely the righteousness of God in Christ, alien to us, is freely bestowed on us by grace. Not anything within myself. Not a righteousness within myself. An alien righteousness given to me. And here's what Luther said. When I discovered that, I was born again by the Holy Ghost. And the doors of paradise swung open to me, and I walked through 
This is a deep man of faith just getting faith. Being born again by the Holy Spirit because he understood at this moment what it means to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was the motto that, that came out of the Reformation. Man, powerful. 2 Corinthians 5.17 and goes on to say, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You can hear this in the language of Luther here. I'm not just, you know, a, a better version of myself. I'm a new creation. You, you hear that in his writing, and you hear that in a believer that has encountered that alien righteousness in Christ, and it's been freely given to them, and it has nothing to do with them. It's not a self-improvement project. It's a new creation project. It's something completely different. And this has achieved this new creation that uh, Paul speaks about in Galatians. He says, uh, neither circumcision or or uncircumcision is anything. Just forget all that. It's about a new creation. That's what this is about. This is what he's summing up. It's about new creation. And in, 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 in that power is, is accomplished of new creation through the cross. And we're offended at the cross. We're offended when Paul in the end of Galatians says, I will boast in nothing but the cross. And the reason is, is because it's only through the cross that we are saved. I can't add anything to it. But that's offensive to us, right? We want to add something to it. We want it to be a righteousness that's about us. But we sing songs like the rock of ages this line nothing in my hand i bring simply to thy cross i cling that's it nothing in my hand no one good thing can i bring nothing no nothing back to our text in galatians 2:16 by works of the law no one will be justified you got to come with nothing in your hands and cling to the cross. And then you will have nothing to boast in. As Paul concludes Galatians 6.14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can give glory to that, right? But if I add my own works, you know what happens? Start boasting in ourself. I did this. I did that. And then you break into a whole storm of sin amongst the body. I did this. Did you do it? I didn't and then you get into comparisons. I did this and that. Did you do this and that? Because I did this, that, and that. Oh, I heard this person did this and that, but I did this, 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 and this. And it just gets into a battle of works. Never start down, Grace Harvest Church. We are a church of a harvest of grace, grace harvest. We are moving from a grace that saves you to a grace that sanctifies you to a grace in the end that will glorify you in him. From the beginning to end, we are about the gift of God in Jesus. We are about the gospel. This is our calling. This is the, the, the purity of the gospel and the uniqueness of Grace Harvest Church. Keep it pure, Grace. Keep it pure, amen? So when we come to our question, should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? Should they try to add one stroke anywhere? No, they should not. As 
everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. Can you say that with me? Everything that is necessary to salvation is found in Christ. One more time. Everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. Christ alone. To seek our salvation through good works is a denial. And you might not have thought that. A denial that Christ is our only Redeemer and Savior. But from reading these scriptures in Galatians, you can see that it is. So as we come and the worship team comes and we have our closing song, is about nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Any good that you have done? Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? We're going to take communion together and sing our final song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Are we sticking with that one, Mary? Okay. We have these, if you believe in the preached word that we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, then your hearts have been cleansed by that faith and we invite you to take communion with us. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. In like manner, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it and do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us partake together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Son, the grace in the gospel of his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us that had the power to take away our sins and bestow upon us the righteousness of you, God, in Christ. We praise you and thank you for it's nothing but the blood. In Jesus' name, amen.